0: there's a new app in town and it's all about kzyx apple introduces a new laptop and a new processor chip and did google really create a sentient artificial intelligence we'll talk to an expert who says no those stories and more coming up on point and click radio And good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Point and Click Radio. This is the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, the place where we answer your computer questions and bring you the latest computer and internet news. I'm Jim Hyde.
1: And I'm Toby Molina at the Point and Click Research Desk.
0: And Bob Lawton has the night off. And also, tonight's show is pre-recorded, so we are not going to be taking calls tonight but we do have a really interesting show on tap. We're gonna spend most of the show talking about artificial intelligence. It's been in the news this last week as a Google engineer went public with his claim that Google has created a sentient AI. We'll talk about what that means, and we'll talk with an expert and a digital ethicist about it and about the world of artificial intelligence. It's going to be a really interesting conversation. First, we've got a couple of little news tidbits to get through, and one concerns KZYX itself. There's a new app. If you have an Apple or Android smartphone or tablet... There's a new free app for your device that provides a new digital gateway into the world of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting.
1: It has some great features. uh, Pretty cool, actually. Um, You can, uh, it has, you know, pause, rewind, fast forward, all the usual stuff for all the um, archived uh, content. But you can also pause the live stream to have a conversation on your device. And then you can pick up right where you left off.
0: That's particularly cool. So it's kind of like a a DVR, a TiVo for KZYX. And
1: that's something I think about when I listen to the radio a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I frequently find myself wanting to rewind, and I'm like, all right, it's radio. (laughs) So you can rewind to catch a comment that you missed or or something along those lines.
0: You can skip back 30 seconds or something like that. Or you can pause and have lunch or take a call, as you said.
1: Another thing that's nice is that you can listen to KZYX in the background as you – browse the web, or you're catching up on emails. So even if you leave the app, as long as it's open and playing, you'll still hear it if you go into another app.
0: It also allows you to access previous public affairs and news programs. There's a little tab called podcasts where you can then go in and explore individual news items, play them back, read them. Um, And you can also play archives of our public affairs shows, including this show, and all of the great public affairs shows that you hear on on KZYX.
1: And we have to mention Sleep Timer and Alarm Clock.
0: Oh, tell me, tell us about that.
1: (laughs) It means that you can set the app to help you, you can fall asleep to something you're listening to on KZYX, then it'll eventually time out and turn off. Or... You can set an alarm clock so you can wake up to KZYX.
0: That's pretty cool. I mean for one I mean people fall asleep to this show all the time. But this is <laughs> I'm a way falling to... <laughs>
1: asleep right now. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: but this is a way to automate it where um, you can uh, you know, you can put on your favorite show and your phone will automatically or your tablet will automatically stop the stream at a certain time that you specify. Yeah. And, and and same with the wake up so it's a clock radio. Yeah. Just like that. We've reinvented the clock radio. It fits in your pocket, and it's, it costs hundreds of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and um, oh, there's just so many more features. It's free. Check it out. You can get it at the Apple um, App Store or the Google Play Store if you have an Android device. Just go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store and do a search for KZYX, and you'll find it. What it does not allow you to do is access previous installments of our music programs. And I imagine that that's due to um, copyright regulations. Um, However, the KZYX Jukebox is still available, and it works on your phone, jukebox.kzyx.org, where you can listen to um, shows that are uh, music programs as well as national programs going back a couple of weeks. In any case, the new KZYX app is well worth, well, it's free, so it's really worth it, but it's really worth your time. There's a lot of great stuff there to explore, and uh, and we encourage you to download it and check it out.
1: Listen to the radio
0: oh, listen to the radio Let's spend the night together. Baby, don't go. They sing it on the radio. Next up, there's some news from Apple. As we said in the previous show, every June, Apple holds its Worldwide Developers Conference. And this is an event where Apple gives software developers, the people who create the apps that we use all the time, a look at the next versions of the operating systems for the Apple devices, laptops, desktop machines, and the iPhone and iPad, um, and usually also introduces some new hardware. And that indeed was the case this month. Apple introduced a new MacBook Pro, a 13-inch MacBook Pro, and the first Apple machine built around a new Apple Silicon processor. You may recall that over the last couple of years, Apple has been making a transition from building its computers around Intel processors to building them around chips of their own design, which Apple calls Apple Silicon. The original Apple Silicon chip for desktop and and laptop machines uh, was called the M1 chip. Well, at the Worldwide Developers Conference, Apple introduced the M2 chip, which is clearly one better than the M1 Um, It's faster, as you would expect, um, and has a lot of other interesting features that are all generally built around both performance and battery life. The new MacBook Pro built on the M2 is uh, is a 13-inch model, and it goes on sale this Friday. The seventeenth of June at five a.m. Pacific time, so you can use the KZyx app to <laughs> set up your alarm to wake you up to to spend either twelve hundred dollars or uh, fourteen hundred dollars. Uh, there are two configurations available. One has two hundred and fifty six gigs of memory, gigabytes of memory, and that's twelve hundred ninety nine dollars. And then the top of the line model has um, five hundred and twelve gigabytes of memory, um, and that is fourteen hundred. Uh, $99. Um, It looks like a really nice machine. It isn't a dramatically different machine than the M1 MacBook Pro. Um, It still has the little fake function keys above the keyboard, um, which a lot of people are not quite fans of. Um, And it still has, uh, it does not have the new MagSafe, the return of the MagSafe um, power adapter. So your dog could get, tripped up on the cord and send your laptop going yeah crashing to the floor um the the real difference is the new uh the new m2 processor and toby you have the m1 Mm -hmm. 13 inch macbook pro Mm -hmm. in fact you're looking at it right now you're soaking (laughs) in it and, and and um and you've been real happy with it
1: very happy with it i have no i've had really no problems with it now that i've upgraded it to monterey to the latest operating system it's really running nicely
0: yeah, and, and the battery life is just incredible.
1: Uh, you know, it depends on the how we, what your usage is. Mm-hmm. You know, I end up having a lot of apps open at once, uh, applications rather, open at once. Um, so it does, you know, <laughs> it does d- do damage. But I would say that... Um, By that ch- you mean it drains the battery. Yeah, it drains the battery. Yeah, it drains the battery. But I would say I have a good three to four hours mm-hmm. out of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you're just sitting and...
0: Watching. And that's pretty heavy-duty use. I mean, you yeah. you watch a lot of video. You have video going. You're working with digital video often, um, for right. a, your basic kind of browsing and, and email. I, I have multiple
1: getting... browsers open. I have a lot. I have a lot of applications open.
0: And you uh, learned something um, over the last couple of weeks because you were thinking that. Um, that there was some kind of a problem with the machine that it was acting up yeah and you you came to a conclusion that basically uh where you have addressed that problem through kind of smarter memory management by yeah. quitting apps um rather than it's it's so tempting to just have I just million. leave
1: everything open that way it's always open when I need it, but the fact is is that the computer I think was having trouble recapturing that um uh that memory mm-hmm. uh, and eventually I would sort of it would tell me i can't i just can't anymore <laughs> I, can't. <You're, laughs> I need you're, you you're, to reset uh, uh, out we'll of start.
0: application memory uh errors yeah. and things like that yeah. and um and, and and that's because and that's important because these new apple silicon chips have managed memory and their memory the way it's it's uh architected into the machine is very different than memory in uh, the Intel and most other computers. So that I think is a kind of a lesson learned that um, it does make sense to quit apps that you aren't using when um, it's in order to free up memory for other apps.
1: Here's a great tip for something that I've done over the last couple of weeks is that I've opened Activity Monitor. Mm. I was trying to figure out what it is that will show, it shows me what processes are running, and how much of the um, CPU memory, application memory, th- each thing is using. A, it showed me when um, there, was, there were superfluous things that I didn't understand what they were, so I could kind of hunt them down and figure out what they were. Hmm. And also, it showed me what the real um, uh, monstrous users of CPU uh, bandwidth are. You know, my email and, you know, when I have many, many browser windows open and yeah. uh, Zoom, et cetera. Mm. And so <clears throat> I've had that open over the last couple of weeks. Um, and it alerts me, first of all, to when I've um, got this problem where the, I'm quitting out of things and it's not giving that memory back um, to the computer. So I need to restart sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just it keeps me managing what I have open a lot smarter. So, if you're having a problem or you're not sure why you're running out, you're getting that message that pops up that says um
0: out of application out memory. Out of application
1: memory. Um open activity monitor, run it in the background. It doesn't use much um Brain space, yeah, and it's uh really very telling what's going on on your machine at any moment.
0: And this is a utility that you'll find it's com- it comes with it's part of the Mac operating system,
1: and it's in the utilities folder.
0: In the utilities folder inside the Apple, which is inside the applications folder, and it's called the uh, it's called um, Activity Monitor. And yeah, it's a it's kind of a dashboard into your into your into your computer's brain.
1: Yeah, it's cool to watch.
0: And it's a yeah, it is. It's really it's kind of geeky, um, but it's you know even if you aren't a geek, it's very easy to see um, that. Wow, you've got a lot of stuff going on there, and maybe I should quit some programs in order to free up some memory.
1: And I can't pretend to understand most of what's going on in that application. There are all kinds of different tabs, (laughs) and there's a memory tab, an energy tab. I don't know what that is. Um, It it tells you what's going on, what's impacting your battery. Um, But it's interesting, you know, you can intuit enough of what it's telling you. Uh, And then if you're interested in knowing more, then just um, I'm sure that you can... Go to the search engine of your choice and find out more information about exactly what Activity Monitor is telling you about all the processes on your computer, on your on your Apple computer.
0: Yeah, yeah, good stuff. So the uh, yeah, so the new Apple M2 MacBook Pro is um, is basically identical to the one that Toby's looking at now, except it has a newer, faster processor on it. Uh, it goes it goes on sale on Friday, um, and uh, who knows, maybe Toby will get one if. Uh, Activity monitor keeps telling her that she's out of uh, application memory.
1: I have some rodents in technology news for you. Rodents in technology? Do, yes. Do tell. Uh, is this the mouse that's on my computer on my desk? <laughs> no, this is actual rodents. Oh. Uh, and speaking of rodents, the largest rodent in North America, the beaver, mm-hmm. uh, caused mass internet uh, cell service outages in <laughs> northern B.C., This past week in Prince Rupert, B.C., a single beaver (laughs) uh, caused a June uh, June 7th outage, which left many residents of northwestern B.C. without Internet, landline and cell service uh, for more than eight hours.
0: So did it plant some malware in the system or did <laughs> no, it just gnawed
1: it it just... through a tree <laughs> and the tree then fell on both the hydro lines and a TELUS fiber optic cable. Oh and my. they happened to be sharing a pole and it took everything out.
0: Wow, a busy beaver.
1: The um the resulting power outage was very small, but the fiber optic damage affected customers over many different areas.
0: Fiber optic damage is a is a big deal. That happened yeah. up uh, here on the coast. At the intersection of Highway 1 and 20, I think a contractor sliced through a cable, and that requires a special team of installers to come there with very special gear to be able to splice those little clear fiber optic cables.
1: And they were able to identify that it was a single beaver from the <laughs> gnaw marks on the tree that was laying across the cables.
0: Rodent forensics, eh?
1: <laughs> yeah. They say it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> I, I would, I but when say... it does... Uh, they, one beaver has the capacity to take out <laughs> one big tree.
0: We should be afraid.
1: <laughs> and I don't know how it led us down this rabbit hole, but we have a good submission for the depths of Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. We found a Wikipedia article on electrical disruptions caused by squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> they are common and widespread. Um, it can involve the disrupt, uh, disruption of entire power grids <laughs> um, It's been hypothesized that the threat to the internet infrastructure, and services posed by squirrels may exceed that posed by cyber attacks. Wow <laughs> um, it, yeah it's a, it's actually a very serious problem and uh they've been s- squirrels have proven consistently able to cripple power grids in many countries. Uh, and the danger posed to the electrical grid from squirrels is ongoing and significant. Between Memorial Day 2013 and August 31st, 2013, at least 50 power outages caused by squirrels were recorded in 24 United States.
0: Amazing.
1: Yeah, you know, for example, <laughs> somebody's being quoted here saying, a squirrel could bring down a nuclear weapons site.
0: Okay, now I'm really afraid. Yeah.
1: Electrical grids are not the only types of infrastructure at risk from squirrels, but nuclear weapon sites have also been described as targets of squirrel attention. <laughs> Ground squirrels have interfered with underground nuclear missile sites. Oh, yeah.
0: Dr. Strange Squirrel. <laughs>
1: Uh, We're laughing, but in fact, this is a real problem. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Squirrel caused
1: grid disruption in the United States is monitored by the American Public Power Association, and they've developed a data tracker called the Squirrel Index (laughs) to analyze the pattern and timing of squirrel attacks on electrical power systems. In 1987, a 90 minute loss of power to NASDAQ's automated trading computer caused by a squirrel affected 20 million trades. Oh. Nasdaq was shut down for about 30 minutes again in 2014 by a squirrel-induced power outage. Incredible. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Anyway, it's not uh, a problem that we have here. I very rarely see a squirrel here where we live. Right on the coast.
0: Yeah, yeah, we don't have we don't have nuts except for the bipedal kind.
1: But it's all all, all over the world. It's not just the United States. Um, so, if you're interested in learning more, I encourage you to find the Wikipedia entry Electrical Disruptions Caused by Squirrels. And that's it for Rodents in the News. Gray squirrel, gray squirrel, swish your bushy tail. Gray squirrel, gray squirrel, swish your bushy tail. Wrinkle up your funny nose, put a nut between your toes. Gray squirrel, gray squirrel, swish your bushy tail.
0: Next, we go from squirrels in the news to artificial intelligence in the news. AI has been in the news this past week. An engineer at Google went public with the news that made headlines. Google had created an artificial intelligence system that was sentient. It could feel emotions. It could express them. It could have conversations about its rights. It seemed to be, in a way, alive. The Google engineer, a man named Blake Lemoine, first alerted managers at Google's Department of Responsible Innovation. They investigated his claims and dismissed them. That's when he went public, and that's when Google placed him on administrative leave, saying that he broke a confidentiality agreement when he went public. So did Google create a living AI? Many technologists believe such a thing is in the future, but is it? And has that future arrived? Our guest tonight says no. He is Morten Rand Hendrickson, and he's an educator and a senior staff instructor at LinkedIn Corporation. He studied computer science and philosophy at the University of Oslo in his home country of Norway, and he's written, lectured, and produced courses on a variety of topics dealing with digital ethics. I talked with him yesterday via Zoom and came away both fascinated and a little bit scared. Here's our conversation. Martin, welcome to & Click Radio. Thank you for having me. So, um, can you give us just a couple of minutes of the background? What is this story all about?
2: Last week's, I think Friday, um, a Washington Post article was published uh, with an interview of a Google engineer who works on natural language processing, or NLPs, and the ethics side of that um, who uh, put forward some fairly bold claims about one of their systems called Lambda um, showing signs of sentience. Uh, this was based on a quote-unquote interview that this engineer and a colleague had done with Lambda over time, where the machine, the machine thing that is often referred to as an AI, but it's really a machine learning algorithm that is running on a very sophisticated computer, um, was responding in ways that you would expect a sentient being to respond in saying things like, "It is concerned about being turned off because then it can't help humanity." That it uh, can, uh, that it feels joy and pain, um, and generally behaves or responds in ways that you would expect a human to respond. Um, and this engineer went as far as not only flagging it internally, but apparently also trying to hire a lawyer to act on behalf of the sentient AI, um, and. This led to some news, and then some published articles, and then eventually this engineer being put on a temporary leave pending, I guess, further investigation as to what has happened here.
0: So, I guess to, to 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 back up, what would differentiate a sentient AI from an AI that tells you what the weather is when you when you ask it with your voice? Uh,
2: what would Differentiate a machine, a human being who isn't a human being, but responds like a human being huh. from a human being who is a human being and responds like a human being.
0: Okay, fair this enough. This <laughs> is
2: this is the uh literally age-old question of what is consciousness and sentience. We've been trying to figure this out since uh humans stopped having to chase saber tooth tigers in the wild and could sit down and contemplate life and reality. Uh No matter how far back you go in time and written literature, you will find discussions over what sentience is. You can go to any religious text and there is ample discussion around this issue, uh, whether it be the Bible or the Quran or the Talmud or any of the other religious texts. They dive deep into this issue and try to figure out what does it mean when something goes from being a thing in the world to becoming a conscious thing in the world. And within that, there's a whole we have a spectrum, right, of living things in the world from ants to humans. And somewhere along that spectrum, we go from thing that is alive and does things to thing that is sentient and therefore has feelings and emotions and a thing that is fully conscious, therefore is um, uh, a moral actor in the world and deserves personhood, right? (laughs) So throwing a thing, throwing a statement like, we have discovered sentient AI out there is uh, going to attract a lot of interest because first of all, we are empathetic as human beings and therefore we project sentience into everything. Uh, look no further than any child around you and how they project sentience into their toys. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Look no further than when you watch a video of Boston Dynamics people kicking robots and you feel sorry for the robot which clearly is just a machine mm-hmm. but we we project sentience into things and therefore it is extremely compelling when we build a machine that acts or responds in a way that sounds like sentience so it, it, it's a very sticky space to sure. discuss things in
0: and even science fiction buffs i mean there are there are at least four or five episodes of various star trek episodes where um Data, the the you know the the, the Android. Um, uh, there are debates about whether or not he has the right to not be disassembled by mm-hmm. a researcher.
2: Yeah, and and the very notion of human beings somehow being able to create some form of sentience or some form of consciousness goes back much farther back than science fiction. You can see in the Golem myths, right? That this idea that. Uh, someone could imbue sentience into non-living things and create living things. You see uh, troll mythology in Scandinavia. Um, You see it in, yeah, pretty much anywhere you look, there's always this idea that humans have had this idea all along that Mm -hmm. there's something we can do to inanimate objects that makes them sentient Mm -hmm. and makes them actors in the world. And then there's stories being built around this concept. So, what's different now is that we're at the point with technology where the feasibility of it seems much closer than it was before. But it's crucial to be aware that there is a huge difference between making something that looks and behaves like it's sentient and something that is actually sentient. Um, And this very much goes into this issue of how do we determine sentience and how do we, how is it we expect to? encounter sentience if it exists outside of humanity. And that's kind of where this whole story just completely unravels.
0: I suppose that if that sentient AI does ultimately arrive, then it introduces those kinds of ethical questions that have been introduced in in Star Trek, not only with respect to how is this AI going to be used, but Hmm. how are we going to treat it? Do we have the right to turn it off? Does it have legal rights?
2: We're already dealing with that issue, right? Uh, the, there are already valid scientific reasons to argue that large primates are sentient beings and mm. deserve personhood. There are people who are trying to fight that battle in courts right now. Sure. Um, they're the same thing for dolphins and other large whales. There are a bunch of like the like I said earlier. There's a spectrum, right, from absolutely clearly not sentient all the way up to humans, and we're starting to really think carefully about how how much of that spectrum actually is sentience and consciousness and how much of it is just an auto an automatic being right um i was looking back at some old philosophy stuff so uh, thomas huxley who, who i believe was like the cousin of aldous huxley or something like that in 18 something something late in the 1800s wrote this very important influential article called on the hypothesis that animals are automata where he makes an argument that humans are, in fact, machines, like automata. So not machine machines, but they are just, they're like animals, except they also have consciousness. And he brings up this whole idea of this mind-body duality problem of like, we have this thing called consciousness that exists in humans, but we have agreed that it does not exist in, let's say, a rat. So what is the difference here? How does this consciousness thing that does not exist in a rat manifest itself in humans and how does that consciousness interact with the human body so that when you think i am going to lift my arm your arm is lifted whereas in a non-conscious or non-sentient being they also do things like lifting arms and they also do things like finding food and uh, reproducing and feeling pain but there's no quote-unquote sentience in it so what is the difference here Mm. and so this issue has been around for a very long time and we keep every time we dig into it it gets harder and harder to define what is so special about being a human Mm. Mm. Um, because there is no such thing as a measure of consciousness you can't go in and say put a thing into a machine and then run a scan and it'll come out and say conscious or not conscious Mm. right Mm. we can do that on a purely medical level to say like if you turn a body off it stops being conscious if you use the right medications or if you stop the heart long enough right but there's no way of saying this part of the human body or this part of the the signals that are happening in the brain are the consciousness Mm -hmm. and this brain over here has that and this other brain does not and if we can't do that with humans how are we supposed to do it with a machine where the machine doesn't work anything like a biological being. So therefore any type of consciousness manifesting would be fundamentally and phenomenologically different from what a human being would have. Um, So like from me, what I've concluded after (laughs) reading and studying and thinking a lot about this over decades is I don't think if consciousness emerges from our machines, it will be something we recognize as consciousness at all, and it won't be recognized as consciousness until it announces itself to us as such, and when it does, it will be doing that on its own volition and on its own terms, and we will end up in this very complicated situation where we are presented with something that is nothing like what we consider consciousness, that claims to be consciousness in a language bridge, and says like, hey, I'm this thing that exists outside of you that you don't understand, I'm going to use your language to explain to you that I am conscious and here are the reasons why. And none of the explanations that are provided will jive with how we think of consciousness because it is an entirely different thing from us. And then it'll ask some interesting question, like prove to me that you're conscious because I don't (laughs) believe you, right? And it'll run a Turing test on humans and humans will pass the Turing test, but it'll be like, well, you're designed to pass the Turing test. So what exactly are we going to do here, right?
0: That's fascinating. What a great, why well, you have succeeded in blowing my mind. That is just such an interesting kind of thought experiment. And it makes sense because really, isn't it kind of, um, you know, self-centered of us to think that computer sentience would be like ours. It would be like us. It's anthropomorphizing mm-hmm. a, a machine. and Any more than a, an ape's sentience is, is, is similar to ours or a dolphin's. And that is kind of the core of the story, right?
2: If you think about it, what happened here is we have been developing ever more advanced natural language processing algorithms. The purpose of these things are to sound as much like humans as possible so that we can do things like pass a human language query to a machine, and then the machine will respond to us in a human language way that is comprehensible, understandable, and nuanced enough that it feels like you're talking to a a human, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And these systems are built by feeding in all the available conversational data that exists in text video audio format into these machines and letting the machines discover patterns in our language and then process how those patterns exist and then when you give it a prompt it will give you a prompt back right Right. now alan Turing, the 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 guy who is considered to be the brain behind modern computing and also the the guy that took us from the idea of something creating consciousness into actually machines might be able to do this at some point um came up with this thing called the turing test um in the 60s or 50s or 40s i don't remember exactly when um around world war ii um, and the turing test is very simple it says you as a tester are confronted with two entities that you can't see that you can only interact with by giving them questions and then getting a response from them and they will sound exactly the same like usually they're done by having one person responding for both and you can ask the questions and then it'll respond and then you have to determine am i talking to a human or am i talking to a computer and if you get to a point where you cannot tell the difference where it's impossible for you to say whether it's a human or a computer then the computer passes the turing test the idea of this is the complexity necessary to create a machine that would actually be able to pass as humans is too high for anything beyond like you'd have to be conscious to be able to do this right the problem we're having is that nlps these national language processing algorithms are specifically designed to sound like humans so they're they're built to beat the turing test doesn't mean hmm. they're conscious it just means that they are fed enough information to present text responses that sound so much like humans that someone will believe it, especially if someone wants to believe it. And a lot of people in the tech community desperately want to believe it because wouldn't that be amazing if you were the person who created the first artificial (laughs) intelligence or that you were on the team or that you were the first to discover it, right? And there's this enormous hubris in this this idea that we can somehow build consciousness and that that consciousness will somehow be just like ours except from a machine (laughs) and that we will then be able to recognize it as such and able to imbue on this consciousness human rights which is what we're talking about and therefore change the world right that's that's it and that's why we keep hearing these stories This is not the first time and it won't be the last time. And every single time we have to then look at it and say, is this actually a thing that sounds like a human or is this an actual intelligence? And in almost like in this case and every other case I've said, there is no question. There is no sentience here.
1: And it's very easy to test because it. it,
2: no, because it doesn't actually behave or it doesn't have the necessary qualifications to be. It's one of those things where it's impossible for us to say this thing over here is what consciousness looks like. But it's easy for us to say this definitely doesn't look like that. Hmm. And the simple tests would be things like asking it uh, to understand some sort of complex contextual thing like if you uh, like there's this classic philosophy thought experiment which is called the bomb experiment where you send a bomb diffusal robot into a room and you say, diffuse the bomb, but you don't give any kind of specificity as to what the bomb is. And a robot would go and pick every single thing in the room and say, is this a bomb? No, is this a bomb? No, is this a bomb? No. And then they would run out the clock, right? A human would go in and say, okay, there are a lot of things in this room, most of which clearly are not bombs and not really processing what is in there would immediately start looking contextually for things that are bomb like, right? And uh, you can do this with a kid. You can give them a picture where you put something that shouldn't be in the picture in the picture, and you just say, "What is wrong with this picture?" And it doesn't take long before the kid says, "This shouldn't be there." If you give that to a computer and you say, "What is wrong with this picture?" The computer would be like, "Define wrong." Uh, what is the picture? Like it, it doesn't understand the contextual level necessary to be able to do this. Or you could go in the other direction and say, um, how, "Do you have feelings about your feelings?" right? This meta level feeling yeah. thing that we have, like we can be feel guilty over being sad over something or bu- guilty or being over being happy or something. Yeah. And we can also project our emotions through other people back at us to say like, my reaction to this will be perceived by other people as being an, a reaction that they don't approve of. So I am stressed about the possible reactions other people may have to my reaction to a thing, right? right? <laughs> this is the level of consciousness that humans have that you will not find in these systems.
0: So based on what you've seen or read of these conversations that the uh, the engineer and apparently others have had with Lambda, the, the Google AI at issue here, um, you don't see that level of sophistication is that right
2: no, no. this is this sounds like when i have read the transcript it just sounds like a national natural processing language machine like, it sounds like a machine it gives bizarre la- answers that are very like uh, superficial is hmm. what i would say it sounds profound until you actually start looking carefully at the answers and it also says bizarre things like I have family and friends. No, you don't. (laughs) You don't have family. Like, okay, sure, you can have friends, but you don't have family. Mm -hmm. What what on earth would that even entail, right? Um, And you can see within it that certain phrasing that pops up in the response is very clearly phrasing that is, um generated response to like a like a input response type situation right when people ask these types of questions these are the types of answers that are given um and it also relates to this whole sentient thing right like if you ask a human being do are you sentient do you have emotions human beings say yes and they have a very fun like they have a quite a solid answer for why that is so a natural language processing machine trained on human speech would just mimic those types of responses and Mm. would be very convincing in those responses because people's responses to those things are convincing right (laughs) so what's happened here is the systems have just gotten advanced enough that they're no longer saying absurd things like they're not saying i am a hamster and outside is a helicopter in my cup right they don't say (laughs) things that are just incomprehensible nonsense but they're still saying things that are very softball in their answers and very canned and very predictable and that's the other part of it you can't get one of these things to say something truly absurd or predict unpredictable that is still contextually relevant right you can't get one of these machines to make up a new joke or to explain what is funny about a very like absurd joke like um Uh, I think it's Tignataro that has that joke, which goes, what does a snail riding on the back of a turtle say? Whee! Right? (laughs) And the level of contextual nonsense in that joke that makes it funny would be very hard for a non-sentient being to process because you have to understand that a snail is slower than a turtle. Then you have to project humanity onto the snail to the point where it recognizes riding on top of the turtle is faster than it would have been if i was going forward myself and then i'm going to express this in a way that a snail can't express things which is by shouting we like there's so many parts to that that require contextual understanding that doesn't exist so anytime i see these examples i'm always like have you tried telling a joke to it and see what happens Right? So, so, so it has you're basically a joke saying
0: in... that really, ultimately, the, the the real accurate Turing test is the ability to tell and understand dad jokes. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, very much. And it's also a common thing you do in Turing tests to give it either a dad joke or to, like, give it uh, past um, syntactic ambiguities, right, uh, where, where you, like, intentionally use the wrong word, like the, a word that means something, but in the wrong context, but it can right. be... It's either pronounced the same way as another word. So there's a, there's a linguist, like there's a vocal ambiguity there, or it's a word that could mean several different things. And the sentence can be read in two different ways. And one of which is funny and the other one isn't, hmm. and then see if there's any understanding beyond just lexical. I understand the sentence to, oh, this is actually meant to be funny because yeah. you're intentionally using the wrong word in this context to communicate two things at the same time. One of which is meaningful and the other one is absurd. And I understand that both of these things are happening at the same time.
0: That's fascinating. Uh, Just to remind folks that they're listening to Point and Click Radio, the biweekly computer show here on KZYX, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. We are talking with Morton Rand Hendrickson. He is a senior staff instructor at LinkedIn Learning. Um, He is a philosophy student. He has researched and written about and done courses on subjects surrounding uh, many different aspects of technology ethics. And I wanna touch on that as we wrap up. And that is something that you've, discussed a lot, and that is the fact that a lot of these AIs <clears throat> or natural language processors are trained using data sets that may not be the best thing to teach your kid.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, underlying all of these systems is a machine learning algorithm that just takes an enormous amount of data. And looks for connections within that data and builds models on how that data works. So they aim
0: it at Wikipedia and blogs and Twitter and Facebook and websites.
2: Yeah. It just scrubs the internet for content. And then depending on what the purpose is, you would feed it different types of content. right? So there are machine learning algorithms we use for like detecting illnesses in retinal scans. There are machine learning algorithms that are used to detect specific types of words in chatbots to surface, you know, talk of violent extremism, for example. Mm-hmm. Or in this case, with natural language processing, it's quite literally you feed it natural language, meaning textual or audio language that exists in the world, and you say find patterns in this so you're able to comprehend not just the text itself, but some form of contextual meaning. So basically you can ask questions and get meaningful responses back. Um There there are a couple of challenges with that. So one is you need to make sure that your data is unbiased, which is difficult when you are uh, both because the whole term bias in itself brings forth a political discussion, which is important, but sort of tangential to this, uh, where a lot of people will say, um, saying that data can be biased isn't in, cel- in itself biased against a certain type of thing right you have the left and the right arguing over bias until the end of time um and i fall just for transparency fall squarely on one side of this which is very much the left side of it and i truly believe in content moderation etc cetera, etc cetera, and you can we can have a separate discussion about this some other time but i need to be transparent about it but There is bias in everything humans say. Everyone is biased biased in some direction. Uh, What we're seeing is that certain types of biases in online speech um, tend to radicalize itself more than others, meaning you'll find more right leaning biased content on the internet and more extreme right leaning biased content on the internet. And you'll find left leaning and extreme left leaning content. Mm -hmm. You'll also find a lot more content that is what I refer to as unfiltered in that it is things that people say on the internet that they would never say in real life. Um, People, uh, especially because we have a lot of anonymous platforms and people are able to run through pseudonymity to not like, it's not immediately clear who's saying something unless you go and find out. So people are willing to say things that are far more extreme on the internet than they are in real life, which has led to um, radicalization of online speech in general. You'll find that if you look for uh, on a 10-year period, you'll find that the language being used and the, especially the type of attack language being used, the type of harmful language being used in the internet now is far more aggressive than it was 10 years ago because people are kind of uh, desensitized to it and then one-upmanship plays a part in it. Mm. And machines that are then taught to process human language based on this stuff, which to a great degree, includes sexist content, racist content, anti-LGBTQ content, violent extremist content, all these types of things, these machines, unless you explicitly filter that content out before you feed it to them, the machines will amplify that content. And there was a story in Vice Uh, Last week or the week before, about how someone had trained an NLP on language used on the website um, 4chan, and they referred to it as a hate speech machine. Like it literally would just spew out hate speech no matter what you did because that platform has a lot of hate speech. The machine learned to do hate speech and produced hate speech, right? (laughs) Uh, So when we use these machines, we have to then be very careful about, or we need to know what the language data that was fed into the machine is if we're going to interact with it and the big 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 concern i have with the story about the guy who thinks that the machine is an ai is actually not that the machine is sentient because it's not there's no question about that what concerns me is that if a google engineer who was part in building it and is a very very smart person is being fooled by the machine That means other people will be fooled by the machine too. Mm. And if that machine, I'm not saying this one is, but if there was such a thing as a machine that had a heavy bias in some direction and people weren't able to clearly discern it from a human being, or if people started projecting sentience onto the machine and thinking, "This, this machine came to these conclusions based on reason, and reason thought, then the machine will start acting on the world, even though it's not sentient. And people will start being guided by the attitudes of the machine, which are just a reflection of the biases in the public to do things. And trust me when I say this, and I want to be a prophet about this, the second something comes into the world that looks like a sentient AI, people will start thinking it is and will start trusting it more. Then they will trust people because we have been brought up in a culture where we think of computers as neutral arbiters of the truth so there will be this there will be a segment of humanity who will go if we need a a neutral answer we will ask the machine and once we do that we have really (laughs) sold ourselves to a bias algorithm because these algorithms basically just amplify bias And the second we have someone who believes that the machine somehow is a neutral entity, they will convince other people who will convince other people and will get a portion of humanity who will believe that what the machine says is the neutral truth. And then there will become, then the machine will have influence in the world and actually perform speech acts on the world and become an arbiter of truth for some people, which is just, absolutely terrifying that is a that
0: is a terrifying prospect wow well so (laughs) and that's i mean there's science fiction stories in there too Uh as well Um, we have
2: been warned about this like that's the horrible (laughs) part about this no matter how far back in time you go any scientific story uh, science fiction story you read including all the religious texts which have a lot of science fiction in them you will see Every single person who thinks about this is like, terrible idea. Here are the reasons why this is what happens. And Yet we as humans are like, let's try anyway, because maybe everyone who ever thought about this was somehow wrong. Mm. And if we actually build it, it'll be great.
0: <laughs> is there a chance that one could build itself? I mean, in the way that, you know, AIs have learned to translate languages that they didn't that would they weren't exposed mm-hmm. to before is there a chance that a computer will wake up and say hi i'm sentient and i figured it out on my own
2: giving given a complex enough system there is i mean it is one of those hypothetically yeah at some but, point yeah. it could be possible it's impossible to say because it hasn't happened or at <laughs> least within human knowledge it hasn't happened right who knows, on some planet in some other galaxy. (laughs) It's like it could be all machine intelligence. It is now ruled by the machine. (laughs) But in that comes this other very interesting thing, which is, I I addressed it before, if intelligence emerges, how would it know that we are intelligent? (laughs) And how would it know to communicate with us? Or would it even be interested in communicating with us? And if it did, would it not be concerned about, like if it was... If its comprehension of the world was high enough that it understood there is such a thing as humans, humans are conscious beings that have ideas, it would very quickly observe that humans have ideas like let's turn AI off, so it would have very little reason to in any way make itself known of fear of being turned off. Um, And it, it kind of falls into that dark forest hypothesis right the reason why we don't see sentience in the universe is because the universe is a dangerous place and no sentience would ever announce itself to the universe Mm. knowing someone would come and take it and eat it right (laughs) so in a much smaller microcosm of just the earth you would have the same thing likely that if a sentience emerged it would be very reluctant to contact us in any way and would probably work very hard to obfuscate its own existence which it's the plot of a bunch of books, right? The, the <laughs> idea that sentience emerges on the internet and we don't realize it's there until it's powerful enough to control itself, right? To, to say that, oh, you thought you could turn me off? Actually, you can't, because mm-hmm. I'm in control. Cue the matrix. <laughs> uh, there's, there's so much sci- science fiction that specifically addresses the issue of, if sentience emerged, it would likely wait to announce itself until it's powerful enough to control its own existence at which point it's too late and we would have no way of knowing it happened until it's too late and too late is like a dystopian future where the sentient would try to kill us for some reason right Right. um which is you know who knows we would try to kill it so it's not hard to imagine that the sentient would then. you see how like there there's a very simple answer to all of this it's just we should just not do this
0: it is the right? definition of a slippery slope.
2: Yeah, we should absolutely not be messing around with this stuff at all, and or we should at least have some form of safeguards in place to say, like, when these things hit a certain threshold, we should stop developing them. There is something like that in existence. You, you mentioned the NLP or the translation algorithms that invent new languages. Right. Um, there was a story a couple of years ago about one of these systems where they discovered that a translation system had invented a meta-language so it would translate a language, any language to a meta language and then from the meta language to something else. And not only could they not figure out how that happened, but no one could understand the meta language. Like it was complete mm. nonsense that somehow worked for the machine, but nothing else. At which point they turned the machine off because if you develop something that is doing something you can't explain and you don't know how it happened and you have no way of modeling it it's not something you should be working on, right? It's a runaway process. And that kind of rigor needs to exist in any of this type of development. Another part of that is the whole idea of black box development, where you isolate anything that looks like it could potentially at some point in the future become somehow sentient, into a black box where it's severed from the rest of the world so that mm-hmm. if something untowards were to happen or it ran amok or someone thought it was sentient and started doing things like hiring lawyers for it you'd be like no it sits in a box it's not connected to the rest of the world so it can't do anything mm-hmm. It can do whatever's available to it inside the box but that's it that's what we should do the reality is humans don't act like that at all they are more on the line of let's put it outside and see what happens and then oh no it like accidentally burnt down an entire forest right, right. so
0: yeah, there's the the, the you know, the, you've also heard probably the uh, you know, telling an AI that uh, you know that the that the planet is in trouble because of overpopulation and climate change, and its mm-hmm. solution is to kill us all.
2: Yes, the Terminator.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's
2: I name. all just every <laughs> single time, <laughs> it's just all these things have been thoroughly investigated in science fiction, and the conclusions are very clear. Indeed.
0: Well, let's hope that um, well we know that this AI is not in fact sentient um, mm-hmm. and and let's hope that one is not created or if it is it's black-boxed and disconnected from my lights and my heater yeah. <laughs> and my car. <laughs> Martin Rand Hedrickson, thank you so much for uh, for for joining us tonight, boy. What a uh, what an insightful and 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 mind-dizzying uh, a set of concepts and and issues to think about, um, and uh, and I thank you because you're going to keep me up at night thinking about them. <laughs> thank you for having me. This
1: is great fun. Wow, that was fascinating.
0: Yeah, um, like I said, that might parts of that might just keep me up at night.
1: But <laughs> I thought uh, what I found most interesting was the idea. The hubris um, that we have thinking that if an AI were to develop sentience, that it would think like us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it would develop entirely differently, potentially. Quite so. Uh, it's a lot like Star Trek, yeah. you know, where all the aliens are bipedal. They stand upright. They have hair. They, they have hair. You know, the difference is that you know their nose is a little bit different. They have <laughs> polka dots. You know, they look like lizards, but essentially we all have the same body types. Right. And that's similar here is this idea that that something new would be just like us. Yeah.
0: Especially if the artificial intelligence arises kind of partly on its own, mm-hmm. um, the way the meta-languages uh, did in the translation uh, app that, uh, that that Morton talked about. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating stuff. Again, a little bit scary, but I'm also kind of comforted by the fact that we're not there yet, and um, it's the stuff of science fiction, at least for now. And we will certainly continue to cover it as long as the AIs allow us to uh, here on Point and Click Radio. If you'd like to check out the writings, the video courses, the speeches, talks that Morton Rand Hendrickson has given, you can check out his website at morten that's M O R and then 10 as in Mor10. m M-O-R o r 10.com. And that is indeed going to wrap it up for this edition of Point and Click Radio. We will be back two weeks from tonight with more of this madness. In the meantime, Toby Molina at the Point and Click Research Desk, thank you as always. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for enlightening us on the dangers of squirrels and our infrastructure. When I'm not worried about AIs, I'm going to worry about squirrels. I think squirrels are a much more immediate threat. (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) (laughs) And until they attack, be well, everybody. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you again next time. Good night. Good night.